The following is a production of Entertainment Rating Services. Son, you know your father was a rigger, a rigger was he. Son, the shoes you have to fill are bigger, as big as can be. Hey everybody and welcome to episode 20, 19, 19 or 20 of Shackles, Burlap and Lies. I'm your host Ethan Gilson and we have a first for you this evening. Due to work schedule, I am not sitting at my house recording online with a single guest. For the first time ever, we are doing the round table. We are live, well, you know, recorded 12 hours ago in the lovely town of Burlington, Vermont and I'm joined by three of my friends. First, we have Mr. Alex Kennedy. How are you doing tonight? Yeah, that's him. Uh, Paul Mukowitz. Howdy. Hello, all. And Mr. Dave Mione. Hello. And so we're actually up here working on a project, and I wanted to make sure that I got something out to all of you uh, on a Tuesday. And so we're going to see what happens here with the four of us talking in a hotel bar. That's scarcely populated. Uh, one thing I will mention that today is Tuesday, September 1st, and it is We Make Events Light It Red to support the uh, Restart Act. So if you're listening to this and you don't know what it's about, check out the hashtag We Make Events and learn about the efforts to bring awareness for those of us in the entertainment business who haven't been able to work in months and likely won't be able to work to try to get some support behind uh, government giving our assistance. So, with that being said, I'll start with you, Alex. Who are you? Well, I uh, started as a lowly stagehand, turned uh, turned LB, turned rigger. Uh, I've spent a lot of years working in Boston, and in the past you know, year and change, I've found myself working more and more all over the country and uh, eventually in Europe. And then, uh, you know, somebody snapped their fingers and everything went away six months ago. Yeah. Yep. That's about it. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, I've come a long way from being a, being a student when a professor of mine said to me, Hey, kid, what are you doing on Friday? And I said, nothing. He said, nonsense. You're coming to work with me. And I uh, put 10 color forces in boxes and I folded some drape and I've never wanted for work since then. Yeah. I know who that was. I give a I'm shout out to, to, a shout out to our was. favorite person who's under five foot tall, Mr. Max Hasenow. <laughs> How about yourself, Paul? What's uh, who are you? Well, my story's a bit more longer and convoluted, but I actually started as a as a stagehand and then as a working stagehand uh, way back in the seventies, uh, believe it or not. And I've uh, been working uh, work my way through college as a stagehand where I studied engineering. And then uh, in, a, in a brilliant burst of insight, I realized I'd starve if I tried to go into stage stage work. And I uh, took my engineering degree and became a rocket scientist. Uh, after uh, a number of years in that, things evolved, peace broke out, and I wound up uh, going to law school and uh, studied patent law. And then did that for a while and decided that I knew more fun and interesting people in theaters than I knew in lo- among lawyers, and I decided I would retire from that and go back to being a stagehand. And that was about uh, 
five or six years ago. Since then, I've been doing a lot more freelance work, uh, more rigging, a lot of lighting design, and just kind of bouncing around to things in the Boston area where I met Ethan and I met Alex and, and other folks, and I've been uh, enjoying myself uh, very part-time and right now no time at all, and uh, bouncing around seeing what's, what's new and different in the world. So uh, I love having Luke on, on my cruise because in, inevitably someone will say, well, it's not rocket science. And I'll say, but if it was, we got that covered. <laughs> <laughs> so how about you, Dave? You, uh, you actually may be the, uh, the person with the most tenure in the industry. So uh, Yeah, well, you know, I got hoodwinked into, into the entertainment world when I was in high school. Um, and I started in... My high school career was more about acting than it was about tech. Um, I just knew how to put things together, so I, I naturally gravitated towards the tech. And then I went to college specifically for uh, theatrical lighting design. Um, upon graduating from college, I, I, the last thing I wanted to do in the world was see the inside of a theater. My uh, my college roommate and I we uh, we moseyed on down to a company that at the time was Showlights in uh, uh, beautiful downtown Compton, California, <laughs> and uh, you know we just kind of showed up and said, "Hi, right, we want to work," <laughs> and that you know uh, it was what eighty seven, and that started us down the road. Uh, Tom has since gotten out of theater work and now works for IBM um, and I probably should have followed him <laughs> 30 years ago <laughs> but here we are and uh, after you know what 13 14 years in the touring world I, I then transitioned into sales big mistake huge mistake you know thought it was time to you know grow up and get a real job but, you know been going well you're an idiot <laughs> ever since so, yeah well most of us have realized that we fundamentally uh, ran away and joined the circus as a friend of mine says so um careful so, i have friends that actually did that <laughs> so, so am i i mean i think a few of us uh, have friends who are circus folks um so, Alex, you had mentioned that uh, most recently you were in Europe. You uh, you actually were on tour with who? It was, uh, it was Five Finger Death Punch and Megadeth. Sweet. And so you had a very specific rigging job. I I, I think this is a pretty push job that you had. I, I really... I could complain, but who would listen? <laughs> um, ultimately, all 500 of my listeners. <laughs> <laughs> Just telling you. So ultimately, my job every day was to hang a 16 foot tall by eight and a half foot wide stall. Uh, I had a full six motors to deal with all of that. I then had to hang two other pieces of scenery, which were about 30 foot long aluminum baseball bats. Also had seven motors to deal with that, and once those were in the air, my day was over. Were you working with the, a production rigger or a tour rigger? I was. He, uh, he was a friend of mine from, uh, from working on a rave a little while before that. Okay. And uh, 
he would come in. I would show up early in the morning and help him chalk the floor, and he would stay late and help me knock this thing out. What do you think the biggest difference between the touring industry in the U.S. or rigging in the U.S. and in Europe is? Because it's one question I haven't asked any of my previous tour rigging guests has been that difference. And I know that there are some people listening overseas, and we tend to be a little focused on how we do things here in the States. What a, you know, was there any learning curve or anything you thought that was really cool that you wish you were doing over here? There is a, certainly a tremendously higher focus on precision in Europe. Point loads are everything to every venue because a lot of the buildings that you're going into are a lot, frankly, a lot older. And a lot of them have modified structures that have been put in in such a way to adapt to, uh, to adapt to their building. Uh, one of my favorite examples was from uh, Fest Hall in Frankfurt, where they had installed a, uh, God forgive me, the measurements are escaping me at the moment, but uh, based on my best estimate, it was about a 90 foot wide stage. And I mean, I know I, I should be speaking in meters. Um, <laughs> about a 90 foot wide stage with a steel mother grid on four posts that was picked in the center of it. And every point load had to be precise because every knuckle of this crazy steel grid so that you can hang anything in this part of the building where it makes sense to put their stage has to be right. You're banking on a lot more variables and a lot more, um, it, like I said, it's precision. Right. I, I did find that interesting. And efficiency is also, you know, always key in the industry, but there in particular. I think efficiency was key. There's a reason they developed a click basket. Right. Yeah. What? Are, so for novices, what is that? Uh, click basket being where we are used to seeing, you know, what you send up to your upriver being a, a shack, two shackles and a piece of steel, where it's made, you're shut, your pin is pulled and your connection is made in the air. Uh, versus having a proper rated snap hook and the other end of your thimble attached to a forged oval. So your motor clicks into the oval and away it goes. That's it. You don't have yeah. to add any hardware. You don't have to track down any hardware. And there's no loose hardware at any point overhead. It simply clicks together. And it's, it, frankly, it seems safer and more efficient in every way. Yeah, there's a company in California who I'll have to Google to remember They've been making them, trying to get them a little more uh, accepted, promulgated. Uh, I think when uh, the episode with Hill Van Hess from Bigger Hammer, we talked about uh, some of those changes. But yeah, the nice thing is you don't have a loose shackle or pin in the air, whatever the height is, and uh, it's a lot faster to make your points a lot more efficiently. So I think that's a great one. If, I mean, even if you think about it in, sec in the terms of seconds, it takes you how long to spin and unspin the pin of a shackle. It might take you, you know, you really want to show off, it might take you seven seconds to do it. That still adds up when, you're, oh, when your show's, right. yeah, you know, 100 60 points, later, 60 yeah, points 100 points, 150 points, those seconds add up. Yeah. So, Luke, you haven't gone into the, the rigging center for business later in life to say um you haven't done the tour thing 
I truly admit I haven't done a lot of touring. Um, your stuff has been mostly theater and corporate industrial. Um, do you have a preference? Do you, do you enjoy the, the rock and roll trust motor side more than the theater side? Both would well, they're they're different attractions. Uh, rock and roll, I like love doing load ins and outs and uh, doing one off type shows because everything's done in a day. Going in the morning and then there's trucks and in a few hours there's a whole show ready to go and then the lights come up and it happens. Maybe you get to see it, maybe not. And you come back mm-hmm. at night, take it apart, and in a few more hours it's back on the trucks and it's gone. And you you have that sense that you've completed something, you've built something, you've made it happen, everybody's safe, everybody's happy, kids had a great show, and away you go. Um, at the same token, uh, you know, all my learning in rigging was initially in the theater sense of uh, putting together shows indoors and outdoors with different sets and structures, adapting into the building or whatever the venue was. Uh, I did a lot of rigging outdoors in, uh, in the amphitheater. Uh, and just, you know, putting up spotlight towers on grassy slopes and uh, guying them off and getting things to work and getting uh, time. Uh, super trooper arc lamps hmm. up 25 feet to a scaffold. Uh, that was a lot of fun. It was quite a project. And, uh, you know, that's where I got to use a lot of my engineering. But mostly I had a great time working with a lot of very fun, interesting people who wanted to make something happen together. Back then, you got no money at all. Yeah. It is kind of interesting. The, the idea of collaborative art yeah. is, is the performance side where... And I think that's particularly relevant right now with the We Make Events idea and some celebrity artists coming out and talking about how they can't create their art without the support of the crews who are not working. It's that very true. People people don't see that. Uh, the regular folks, civilians, as they'd say, that are outside the industry don't, don't appreciate the fact that for every Tim McGraw or Lady Gaga or somebody that's doing a big show, or the symphony orchestra that's coming together and putting something, putting putting out a, a performance for the audience. There's an army of people that had to be there days, weeks, or months in advance, for planning out a tour, mm-hmm. making all that happen. Uh, and it's a it's a family, it's a community for us. Most people don't appreciate it, but it's absolutely essential. And the, the artists certainly appreciate it. They know what it takes, and they know that you know. Sound system's not on, nobody's going to hear them. And if the lights aren't on, they're not going to look the way they think they should look. That's, you know, all that stopped right now. We make events is trying to bring that bring that out to everybody else to realize that while some folks lost jobs or got laid off, we're folks who lost careers. Yeah. And, and, it's, and it's a multi, multi-month or maybe even multi-year break in doing what we love. So, Dave, you mentioned that you got your start in the touring side of the business. I know that you and I have talked about some of the uh, the fun hairband days. <laughs> yeah. Let's, yeah. Talk, let's talk about a couple of the shows that you were out because you actually you, you did the opposite of what a lot of people did. You actually started on the stage and rigging side and moved towards the lighting side later in your career on the sales side of things. Well, yes and no. Um, I mean... 
you know, my college career was all about lighting. Right. My degree is in lighting design, theatrical lighting design. Uh, and I just fell into uh, the staging and rigging side. Um, and, you know, my rigging experience pales in comparison to the three of you guys. You know, I mean, I, I you know, can I rig something? Sure. Do I know exactly how it should be rigged? Yeah, I'm probably going to fall back on something that I've seen somebody else do. Um, but I, I actually, you know, when I got out of college, uh, uh, and I say I went down to show lights, and uh, the lighting side of the company wasn't really hiring at the time, but the staging side, show stage, which is now kind of, sort of, all access, uh, um, you know, they were looking. They were a brand new company. Uh, Eric Pierce, who's the owner, um, you know, was trying to build the staging side of the company. Uh, and my, like you say, my college roommate and I, you know, I think I was the one that brought the resume. He looked at my resume and he looked at him and said, can you do what he can do? <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and they were like, okay, nine o'clock Monday morning, come on in. And that's how it started. Uh, you know, so we started building stages and we did a lot of, uh, you know, of course this is late eighties. So, you know, we did a lot of videos, you know, and, and videos back then, um, uh, 72 hours start to finish. Yeah. And you worked 72 hours <laughs> and then you went to bed for 72 hours. Uh, you know, and the budgets were, were, you know, a 10th, less than a 10th what they are for you know for music videos today uh, but we did a lot of that you know especially that first summer we were uh i think the whole month of july uh we had one day off yeah. <laughs> you know uh and you know working in the shop you know as i mentioned you know the shop was in, in south compton you know and we'd be loading the truck or painting something at you know one two three o'clock in the morning and you'd see the helicopter <laughs> and then hear automatic weapons fire. <laughs> Take a pause and go, all right, and go back to work. Um, you know, so my first touring experience uh, was actually building stages. And then I came, you know, uh, 1990, I came back east. Uh, and that's when I got into the, into the lighting side again. So you brought up something interesting that I think is a, a good topic to talk about is, especially on some of the social media sites, whether it's controlbooth.com or Facebook or any other online resource where you have people who you would say are not riggers asking questions about rigging. And it's always been one of those interesting conversations to, to figure out of when do you need a rigger? And there are some who say you always need a rigger. Anytime you're hanging anything, you should have a person who is qualified to rig, whether or not they call themselves a rigger or not, versus, you know, hey, this is a large show. We obviously need a rigger. And it's kind of, it's always been interesting to me where people say, well, 40 feet of trust with, you know, a dozen movers on two half tons. Well, that's not really rigging, except. But it is. Gravity's the same. Stuff's going to fall no matter what happens if it's not done properly. 
So it yeah, is. That, that square one could be. Uh, yeah, that's, we're gonna put twelve VL four Ks square in the center of this forty foot truss. Yeah. 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 By the way, it's picked on the end. Yeah. Right. And yeah. they all need to be within eight feet. It's yeah. gonna be awesome. Now on the flip <laughs> side, great man. <laughs> that is kind of the advantage of the online community, which is to ask those questions and say, "Hey, I am doing this. How can I make sure that it?" It's happening perfectly. I'm, I, I, I sum it up by saying I'm also not a fan of someone who says you don't know what you're doing. At, hire a rigger. Like, yeah, obviously. But if someone's asking and you want to learn how to do something, I think telling them, hey, here's what you want to do, but you should also really consult a qualified person to assist and help you do that. Well, and I certainly do that when I'm, you know, when I know that I'm in over my head, like you say, the the forty foot piece of truss. I have, I have rigged that, and I'd say rigged. I have hung that, right? You know, and and I understand the principle behind, you know, putting a forty foot piece of truss on on you know two, and I don't think I'd ever do them on half ton. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, that's always in one ton territory for yeah. for you know for my comfort level. Um, you know, so because if they're putting six park ends up there. Uh, yeah, different you things know, happen. But right. Nowadays, we use motor movers. Pretty damn heavy. But I mean, I I started at a time when pre-rig truss didn't exist. You know that we hung, you know, triangle truss or or box truss, and then hung par bars on bar hangers. Yep. You know, and you had meat racks that all your all your six bars came in in the meat rack, and you know. Truss wasn't on wheels. You had to carry it physically, carry it off the, you know, uh, and then and then hang that grown uh, truss. Jeez. Yep. You know, or or you know, even worse, antenna truss. Antenna truss. Yeah. <laughs> you know, which which people did that. Yeah. Well, yeah. You, you 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 we very much in the industry where we say, I want to do this. Okay, what else over the exists that I can steal? Right. Um, Rich Kadena and I have talked about how um, three-phase power. If you've worked long enough on the industrial side of this business, you've taken a set of five wires, so a neutral, a ground, and three huts, gone to a hotel electrician, handed them the five wire, and got the neutral back. Because for a lot of industrial electricians, three-phase is for running a hoist, which with rigging we're doing, but the neutral is not used. And the reality is the lighting side, we just want the amperage. Right. Yeah. So we just wanted the three hots and did the neutral. And that was that was borrowed. We just we did what we had to do. You tie into the panel over there, hold right. the two by four in case I get shot. Um yeah. so we've done that. Or changed that fuse before. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Grab the back of your belt with right. one hand so you're only working with one hand doing the tie in. Um but you look at some of the pioneers in rigging, like Roy Biffle and Arthur Paulson, who were taking things like a chain hoist and said, well, what if we flip it over? What if we do this? So Roan Truss is basically, you know, a, a three cords, usually with triangle, three mm-hmm. cords with the diagonals were a wire filler, basically, and just right. bent into shape. And it was welded. And really good in compression as a tower and not really great as a beam. Right. But it's what you had. Yeah. Well, you know, going back to that, uh, I had a conversation 
I don't know, late last year, early this year, uh, you know, with a, a, a rigger, certified ETCP rigger. Uh, and I showed him a picture of a, uh, of a show that we did. Um, and they were, there were three pods and, you know, and it was 24 inch triangle, you know, and there were three pods. And, uh, and I explained to him, I said, so you, you see the ladder coming down over here. So you climb up the ladder. I said, you go through this pod, you focus everything. And then when you need to get to the center pod, you put your foot on the, on the cable slag, the pod comes closer and you step over, you know, and, and his, his eyes got as big as, as, you know, saucers yeah. <laughs> and he started shaking his head. Where do you tie the safety line? What? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and, and I, I, I sent him some comments, uh, you know, that, uh, was from one of the Facebook pages. Yeah. About how you know the the riggers in Philadelphia, you know, earning their earning their rigging card uh, uh, in the in the spectrum. Yep. Uh, and and you know he comes back at me with you know well there's no room for any of that cowboy shit. And I was like it, it, it's not cowboy shit. So that's how the job got done. <laughs> and you know With all it, the things you're used to now didn't exist. Right. right. Yeah. You know, nobody knew about fall protection. You didn't wear fall protection. You didn't have fall protection. You climbed the ladder, you walked across yeah. the drops. Walk down the beam. That's how you made your point. Exactly. Now, has it gotten better? Yes. Hell yeah. yeah. You know, it's gotten infinitely safer. You know, there's a lot less, you know, a lot fewer people, you know, experiencing concrete poisoning or deceleration trauma, however you want to call it. It's yeah. a little nice being held by your TV. There's a steel wire, steel wire up there to hold you, and yeah. that's asking you, can you die today? Yeah. Then yeah. don't. Right. You know, yeah. but, uh, you know, all of this technology that, that we use to, to rig and to, you know, to build shows today didn't exist 30 years ago. And, no. and it does exist today because of, like you said, Rocky and, and you know, uh, others that, that, you know, watch somebody experience concrete poison. <laughs> yeah, there's, and I'll, I'll put a link to it, a, a friend of mine, another rigger who's uh, on the West Coast, um, had posted in a, a form a video link from an old PBS show called Three to One Contact in huh. the 80s, where... 70s. 70s, it was, it, 70s, it was the 70s. Right. Uh, <laughs> I watched it growing up. World. Um, <laughs> where one of the hosts went to a load-in for Kiss. So it's definitely the late 70s, maybe 1979. Again, I'll throw up the link in the show notes. But it's an eight-minute long video of the load-in and show portion of KISS. And you can see some of the old technology in terms of R64s and racks. And, I mean, KISS, KISS were always sitting there saying, how much can we fit? We want more, 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 more. Well, I gotta, I gotta tell you, the first, uh, first show I worked on a union work permit was KISS at the San Francisco Cow Palace in 1980 um, so it was it was probably two tours after the one that's in the 321 contact sign yeah. still had the kiss lightning bolt letters 
Yeah, uh, they did come one to a very large-ass box. <laughs> they had racks and racks of car cans, but by the time I did it, they had their own custom uh, aluminum tube set uh, rolling stage. They were one of the first ones to use you know, a rolling stage set up. You hang the lights, you rig the lights on the ground, stage is being set up out the house, lift up the lights, yeah, roll, roll the stage, the stage. In. Yep. Uh, fully integrated. Uh, and I was I was amazed, I was a college student, but I was amazed at the level of detail and the preparation they had. They had their own TIG welding setups, which in 1980 were kind of rare. They had their own TIG welding setups, two of them that traveled with them in case they had to repair the stage, because mm-hmm. there was only one of those. Right. It had elevators oh. built into it, mm-hmm. it had fog built into it, it had flamethrowers built into it. Uh, it was an, yeah. an impressive thing, but they were, you know, they were part of the pioneers in that thing. Well, Rocky that, Paulson, by the way, was the head rigger yeah. <laughs> in, in the Cow yeah. Palace for that show. That, uh, yeah, yeah. That, that show with the with the three pods was actually a kiss show. Yeah. yeah. There's the Oh, nice. The yeah. photo, we're, yeah. we're, we're sharing a photo mm-hmm. of that set up. That was for a video. But, the, you know, to your original, when we started on this, is a, on, uh, social media and other websites where folks are exchanging information, looking for advice, and how to do all this stuff. You know, when do you need a rigor? Clearly, to me, when you're talking an arena type show and you're suspending trust in using you can't avoid having to rigor there. That's not something you ought to guess with. And in fact, the venue won't let you guess. Yep. You show up and you don't know what your weights are or where you're right. going or what you're doing. Now, it's exactly. going to go bad fast. It's interesting, though, that in theater land, especially when you're looking at college and high school theater and community theater, semi-pro, whatever you want to call it, uh, there's a lot more of that going on daily basis. We want to fly this flat. We want to fly in this back wall. How do we do it safely? Yeah. Do I put two chains on it? Do I use a bunch of wire rope? What kind of wire rope? Do I use wire rope clips? Those kind of questions really need to be answered by somebody competent. But the very first step is reaching out to your community, whether it's patrolbooth.com, one of my favorite places to go for that kind of stuff or your local neighborhood river riggers, or uh, the university, or whatever else you have around there where somebody's actually studied this, because it is so easy to get it wrong. The, uh, I do quite a fair amount of inspections in elementary schools, and people are like, well, you know, what's there really to inspect? It's, you know, a traveler curtain, the main curtain, and maybe a strip light. Mm-hmm. And what I tell people is, yeah, I'm... I, I don't need to inspect your elementary school every year. Maybe once every three, four, or five years. 99% of the time, what I'm looking at is what did some parent unknowingly do to create a hazard? Whether it's, I want to hang a projector, so they built a little plywood tray and they used eye bolts through it and jack chain. Or I want to have a scythe and we need to hang it. So they hang conduit on cotton rope with some shivs that you buy and beam clamps and eye bolts and they throw cleat on the wall. Um, I've got a good one for this one. Yeah? <laughs> All right. What do you got? Well, uh, there's two of them. My, my, uh, my 
favorite that would probably be least well known is I found a span set. And by span set, I mean I found something that looked like rolled burlap in a circle. So I pulled it out and thinking, that's not, something looks weird about that. I picked it up and it was far heavier than it should have been and it jingled. So I decided to cut open the burlap and I found four pieces of trim chain with uh, 516 shackles through it. Making a giant making, chain basket. Making a chain basket. Yeah, chain basket. But wraps will protect oh, right, yeah, burlap. Yeah, yeah. I got the burlap. <laughs> they wrapped it in burlap. Because so it wasn't going to mark the paint, it. Yeah. Uh, my other favorite one was, like you said, something somebody unnamed. So without a doubt, this is what this was. It was in a school in the South Shore several years ago now. And I noticed that uh, part of their curtain track had fallen down. And as I looked at the curtain track some more, I realized it was just coated wire rope. And so I went down to the other end of it, and what I found was three two-by-fours screwed together in such a way that it braced the bottom of the beam, far-sided beam, and clipped the flange, and an Irwin quick clamp attaching the other flange. (laughs) Wow. uh, There was then a shepherd's hook with with a jib that ran down this piece of uh, coated cable. That was running. Wow. It was running the curtains down the sides of the barn. Wow. I I was I really gotta say I was impressed by that. <laughs> I and no one was dead yet. Right. Yeah. I I walked into a few theaters where you see the trim chain attached back to itself with bailing wire. No bolt, no shackle, no nothing. Uh, there's there's so I, I when I do inspections I have these red tags that it say do not use. So I can lock out or label a piece of hardware or a line set that has an issue that has to be addressed immediately. And usually you end up shutting down the stage at that point. That bailing wire and trim chains is the only securing method. That is a red tag right there. That that's mm-hmm. no question asked. Um, yeah, you, you find a lot of strange things, a lot of old practices, a lot of aircraft cable that's coated where the wire rope clips are on the top of the coating. Instead of directly in contact with the wire rope, yeah. Um, well, the old the old style uh, trim chains, which use the uh, uh, dog hooks. Yep, dog hooks. Okay. Uh, and it's you know the whole the whole theater uh, at Stanford time, nineteen seventy eight. All the trim chains on sixty one line sets. Dog hooks. Yep. Yeah. Wow. You, there's actually a theater in New England that is a Broadway house, has dog clips. They are Klein and they're rated. Yeah. Surprisingly enough, very rare. And you can argue whether or not the clip portion of it in terms of securing the load can the gate open or not. You can argue that. But there is, as we've been developing the static and suspended standard, one of the first discussions we had was about S-hooks and people's instant reaction of, you can't use an S-hook. But if it's a rated S-hook, yeah, right. and you're staying within the load running, what's the issue? And so we kind of get distracted by what the problem is. It's not the fact that the S-hook's going to bend open, it's seismic activity. And I say that meaning whether it's an earthquake or a student grabbing a leg and pulling it out of the way of the genie lift of the set, and you bounce that in the S-hook, or the hook on the uh, turnbuckle or whatever, becomes dislodged. 
that's more of an issue where making sure your load can't fall out. So the question goes back to the clips, which is you're not going to break the clip. You're not going to overload it and crack it. You just stay within a certain load limit. Right. It's the securing it side of it. And those spring clips can work well. So, yeah, there's in there. The old uh, the old trim chain using a bolt, a 3 8 inch mm -hmm. bolt, 3 quarter inch chain. It's mm -hmm. a practice for years and years yeah. and years. Yeah, sure. Then we started looking at it and saying, you know, more often than not, that bolt was taking load instead of the shackle or whatever was attaching it just because of the spacing on things. So, well, I always had problems myself with the, the bolted systems because oftentimes uh, the cheapest hardware right. store bolt, right. not, not any kind of a rated bolt. Yeah. And, you know, maybe it didn't have a, a lock washer or a nylock or anything on it. And, just in the every day up and down and up and down. Mm -hmm. So you find one that, you know, sometimes that nut was really spun off or had spun off. Obviously the fat wouldn't come down because it's double right. lifting. So, you know, always a little disconcerting. It's still things have evolved. Right. So dog chains were used for probably fifty years. And before that, if you remember from the IA's great history of stage handing one <laughs> You tied the hemp line onto your baton with a clove hitch, and that's yes. all there was. Clove hitch. <laughs> don't forget the half hitch. Don't forget the half hitch. Just a half hitch. Forget your clove. Which derates the clove hitch by percentage. Right. Yeah. Fun time. But right, all of Broadway was hung with yep. hemp. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of, to the baton. A lot of early wire rope was what is known as sash cord. Which was mm -hmm. literally what would hang the weight in your wood sashes yeah. of your windows mm -hmm. to make sure you could open the window. That didn't stretch. Uh, that didn't stretch yeah. at all. Copper <laughs> cord saved you. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's the mice that were the problem. Yeah. Well, we yeah. did uh, uh, when I was in college. Uh, uh, one of the um, spring events was, you know, the the graduating actors uh, and the. Uh, MFA directors did what we called Pell Arts in Town. Uh, and so for a month, we moved three shows and one dance show into a, into a theater, the Morgan Wixon Theater in Santa Monica. And uh, um, it was a hemp house. I mean, a complete hemp house. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, we would come in and, you know, college kids who, you know, don't get me wrong, the college experience was a fantastic experience, but, you know, college theater technicians think they know everything. That's right. And they don't know shit. They do not know what they uh, know right. yet. I, I, guilty. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. Me too. Uh, freshman of college, I was the smartest person in the room yep. until I wasn't. Right. Yeah. So, uh, you know, so there were a lot of, there were a lot of transgressions because, you know, at CalArts, uh, it was more OJT than it was, you know, actual classroom learning. Yeah. You, you learn by doing shows. So there were a lot of transgressions that went on, especially in a hemp house that you don't see. Yeah. But once a year. Yeah. <laughs> so. In um, a hemp house, they happen fast. <laughs> oh, baby, do they? Yeah. But it goes back, I've mentioned before in other podcast episodes of prior performance does not. Uh, prove future results. Sure. Right. That, you know, an example I used all the time uh, was you could run a red light every day 
that you drive to work and never get T-boned, that does not guarantee the next time you do it, you're not getting right. T-boned. Right. It's, you know. Well, and, and that, that brings me back around to something you were saying earlier, uh, you know, about the advance in social media and, and having resources like, you know, I don't know, Facebook groups or control booth or uh, the light network or whomever, uh, um, you know, those to me in, in my mind's eye um, are a double-edged sword. Can you get accurate and, and quality answers to your questions? Yes, you can. However, the fear I have with that is that they're going to ask the question once, or maybe even two or three times, and but it's that fourth time where they don't ask the question and say, "Well, I've done this enough." You know, it, it even goes back to me saying, "You know, I've I've hung forty foot piece yeah. of truss enough that you know I know how to do it." Well, it, it, <laughs> you know this this project that brought us together that we're working on has some challenges to it mm -hmm. and none of us are afraid to look at the other person and say what do you think about this right. bounce ideas off each other double check things why because if we make an error something's falling and, and doing a lot of damage so when you see something that i haven't seen yeah yeah, yeah. We different set of eyes just a different perspective and then and then once everyone agrees that we're in good shape you, you make your your lift and the dangerous thing is people who don't know what they don't know. Well, and, and or try to do it all by themselves without other people around. Well, and yeah. try and to ask a question on the internet without getting hundred responses right. telling you the exact yeah. answer. Right. Well, and, and <laughs> not so much don't know what you don't know, but aren't afraid of what you don't know. Right. Yeah. You know. Um, I mean, for me. You know, I do a lot of stuff in my local high school, and, and I'm hugely safe about it. You know, if I'm moving something heavy on stage, there's nobody anywhere, you know, near. Um, you know, I try to teach them etiquette, you know. Um, but I, I have a healthy fear of what I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so, and that gives me pause when, you know, I don't know something. Over in Europe, find that lifting zones was a much more active thing, meaning you would cordon off areas where equipment was moving, and the only time you go underneath something moving is if you're a performer and it's a coordinated move. I would not say it was cordoned off. I would say it was strongly encouraged to get out of the way. And a lot of the local guys knew, knew all of the practices already and would just move. I think that's a, a which you know personally I I do my best never to stand underneath something that's moving. I think that's a, a theater culture thing that is taught in university very well, which is unless you have to be there underneath an object that's moving, you're an actor exiting entering the stage. You don't get under an object moving. On the rock and roll side, I think we've fallen out of that idea of staying away from something that's moving. Um, well, this thing has to move. It has to move for show. Right. Yeah. right. But it, but OSHA looks at that and says, 
that that's the easiest way to mitigate the risk of something falling on someone is don't be under it. But our uh, our our large show uh, load in load out practices are such that uh, by the time that uh, that lighting rig is up to up above where you can slide the stage underneath it, somebody really wants to have that stage moving, even if the rig yeah. the lighting rig is still going because the clock is ticking indoors is six hours. So there's, yeah. a, there's still a lot of uh, financial pressure. A lot of financial pressure. But there's a, there's another thing too. Now when you go on some of these calls, it's, it's uh, here in Boston, a hundred and fifty person call, and there aren't hundred and fifty people in the union available to work that show right now. So there's all kinds of people there. There's folks like me that go in on them and experience, and then there's high school kids and there's college kids and there's you know. Sons and cousins and folks are trying to break into the industry, but they're still the first ones out. And there isn't a really good uh, mentorship on the job in those kind of rushed environments yeah. because of the speed and the pressure and the need to move everything so quickly. You know, where, where the young folks are being taught, I know, they're lifting that truss, so let's not walk underneath it, even if, though that is the quickest way to get your box back to the truck. Right. Yeah, and again, it goes back to that gravity is not height dependent. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> something, something falling. Um, last week's episode, Joe and I talked about uh, hard hats, and I linked to a video showing different objects dropping on hard hats and the damage they do. 10 pounds from 20 feet will kill you. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Well, and, and yeah, going back to, you know, my tenure in the touring world, <coughs> nobody ever wore hats. Yeah. You wore sneakers and shorts, you know. Yep. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and hopefully at the end of the night, you're wearing the new shirt they gave you for working. Right. Yeah. yeah. That hasn't well, happened in 10 years. As, yeah. as, yeah. as road crew, you never saw those. Right? Yeah. <laughs> All the perks are gone. Yeah. Well, and it was, you know, in my time, it was also local dependent. (laughs) Yeah. I've been happy to get a a whole bunch of local local crew shirts in the last couple of years, but only for the really big shows where they have different colored local crew shirts, so they know who the who the who the riggers are, (laughs) who the electricians are, and who's on video, and so they can grab you when you're not where you need to be. Mm-hmm. That's an interesting idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, surf, surf does that. Yeah. Uh, Dead and Company. Yeah. Uh, doing that. A whole, whole bunch of them. Doing that. Yeah. They all come in extra large. <laughs> yeah. Still too small for me. Amazing how that happens. Alright, well. I don't know. What do you guys want to talk about? Can we call it? Is that good? I'm getting late for me. Yeah, I'm tuckering out. My yeah. boss wants me up early in the morning. Slave driver. <laughs> Here's an a-hole. Punch <laughs> <laughs> yeah. your Ah, yeah, the young kid punch your <laughs> ah, It's true. Um, all right. Any you got any good rigging jokes or bad rigging jokes? No. No. All right. Mm. Uh, I'm gonna you say. None that I would be willing to yeah, share with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to put on record. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I, I guess we got to phone a friend again. How many rigors does it take to bolt together a truss? None. That's the electrician's job. Yeah. <laughs> you know, right? uh, one one quick story before we go. Yeah, I yeah. was I was working on a on a film set, um, and I was late forties. This is yeah, ten eleven years ago. So yeah, mid late forties, and um, none of the rest of the crew was over the age of twenty eight. <laughs> you know, and so we're rolling out, we're rolling out heater for the generator. Now it's all number one. You know, and I'm like, well, this isn't hard. <laughs> so wait till you roll out five wire four out. And they're like, five wire four out? Who would do that? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Who would do that? And it's like, oh, God. Such a film crew statement. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, oh, a friend of mine's about to teach a class, a four-hour class, an intro to loading or something like that. And he was asking for advice on topics, and he said, tell him not to jump off the back of the lift gate on the truck or the loading dock or off the front edge of the stage. Because when you're 20, 18 to 25, your knees are feeling great. Mm-hmm. You can do it. I'll tell you that's the surest, surefire way that at 40, you can't get out of bed and walk anymore. That's damn right. You ever want to teach somebody about shock loads? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How do your knees feel? There you go. Awesome. Well, thank you guys. I appreciate you guys uh, you know, doing this with me in a short time period and figuring something out. I wanted to get some content for the, the listeners who are... Uh, enjoying this and uh yeah maybe this will become a trend we'll do some more rigor round tables in the future so thanks for the invite as the as the 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 lone non you know rigor (laughs) talking about (laughs) rigging right he used to be a rigger that's yeah i don't know if you'd ever really call me a rigger well i hung something once yeah Yeah. (laughs) i've been a i've been a ground rigger a lot I've run my fair share of chain motors out. But. <laughs> That's an important job, man. Stare at that chain and don't jam it. Yep. In the world of hurt. So. I thought you were supposed to get the bag in there. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh, that's Tie yeah. line your finger and the hook for the chain bag. That should all go into the chain guide. Yeah. Right? At least once in your career. I prefer to put the pickle Oh, so, yeah, yeah. It's more exciting. The fly cable at 208 preface. <laughs> that's fun. Yeah, one. there you go. Different strokes for different folks. Exactly. <laughs> you got to keep every loading well, interesting. In Europe, it is 208. Yes. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, thank you very much, and thanks everybody for listening. And until next time, keep the damn pin in the shackle. Son, you know your father was a rigger. A rigger was he. The shoes you have to fill are bigger, as big as can be.